Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Drs. Francine Foss, Anise Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Foss is a professor of medicine in the section of medical oncology at the Yale Cancer Center. Dr. Chagpar is associate professor of surgical oncology and director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. And Dr. Gore is director of hematological malignancies at Smilo. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can submit questions and comments to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. This week, you'll hear a conversation about relieving stress during a cancer diagnosis with James Porter and Bud Wassell. Jim is an author and founder of StressShop.com, and Bud is coordinator for the Employee and Family Resources Program at Yale New Haven Health System. Here's Dr. Anise Chagpar. So maybe we can we can start with you, uh, Mr. Porter. Tell me a little bit more about yourself and uh, what you do. I've been producing stress management training materials now for over 25 years, and our we have workbooks and CDs and uh, pamphlets and brochures that help people figure out how to manage stress. We distribute these products to uh, hospitals, corporations, government agencies, and military bases throughout the United States. So this is really stress management for life more than uh, simply for cancer. Correct, yes. And so what got you interested in cancer particularly? Well, um, I'm not specializing in anything in particular. Uh, I was asked to do a program on mindfulness here uh, at the Smilo Center. Is that Smilo uh, Wellness Wellness Workshops? Correct. Okay, and uh, so my background is mindfulness and and talking about stress management, um, and we're going to figure out how it can be applied to cancer just by. Uh, sort of common sense because you know what I would uh, what I would tell a cancer patient is no different than what I tell somebody with heart disease. Managing stress is kind of the same thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, Bud, maybe you can tell me a little mm-hmm. bit more about who you are and what you do uh, here at Yale. Well, I do coordinate the Employee and Family Resources Program, which is an Employee Assistance Program and Work Life Services. It's part of the benefit package. But I'm really here as part of the well, the Wellness Workshop Committee. We have a committee that um, puts together these free workshops for uh, people with cancer and their family and uh, the whole Smilo community. And they're kind of an, that's how we got Jim involved. They're kind of a, uh, we put together, we look for topics that are, are complementary um, and kind of unique sorts of things. We've done laughter is the best medicine. We've done uh, intimacy. Uh, at, at any stage. We've done a Tai Chi workshop. We've had a, a fellow uh, come on as, as an author of a book called Cancer's Gifts with Love and Hope. So we really look for different things to help uh, the patient and their family with their um, you know, kind of a holistic way of responding to, to the diagnosis and the treatment process. And so these are free workshops that any cancer patient can avail themselves of? Any cancer patient, their uh, families, the staff of the hospital, the community, we, you know, we really put it out. It's open to the public, and they are free, correct. And so how do people find out about these programs? Well, we have our own mailing list. Um, we're, we're happy to be here today. Hopefully this uh, will, will bring some folks into the workshop. We, uh, we do some, uh, you know, publicity within the Yellowhaven Hospital and Smilo in particular. So uh, there, there are things in the, in the internal newsletter and 
the LCD screens. But this is open to anybody, regardless of where they got exactly. their treatment, right? Exactly. And I think that that's really important because, Jim, you can probably speak to this more. Um, stress affects everybody, doesn't it? Yes, it really does at every level. People who are in college, people who are in high school. I mean, I'm, I have two, three kids, uh, two are in college now. And, and the amount of stress that they were subjected to just with the uh, kind of level of homework for college-bound kids was really phenomenal. I was really struck by it. And, of course, people have stress uh, in their working life. Uh, there's stress involved in just worrying about the Ebola virus. Uh, it's everywhere. And for cancer patients, you know, what, what we know is that the top three stressors in a person's life are typically uh, divorce, dealing with the death of a spouse, and dealing with a major illness. So, you know, anybody who's gotten a diagnosis of cancer is going to be dealing with a lot of stress from a lot of different standpoints, just going for treatment, dealing with chemo, uh, having to not being able to do the things that you were used to do. And, and so, you know, Understanding how to manage stress, I would think, would be very important for a cancer patient. Yeah, that not only understanding all of that, but also the fear of the diagnosis. Can you talk a little bit about how fear and stress interplay, or are they different, or the same, or do they feed into each other? Well, what I know about fear and stress is that it's all coming from the amygdala, that part of the brain that is the center for vigilance. And the stress response starts in the amygdala, and so does fear. So when we learn to control the amygdala, and one of the ways we can learn to control it is with with mindfulness meditation, which is what we're going to talk about more later on in the program, um, that can be, uh, I mean, really what mindfulness meditation is, is um, prefrontal cortex training. In other words, we're training the front part of the brain to control the emotional part of the brain. Mm. And that's where you can really benefit and deal with fear by learning these techniques. Mm. So I, I do want to get into how that all works. But, but, but do you find that these kinds of techniques, when Jim was talking earlier about how stress affects everybody, and you certainly are involved in employee programs mm -hmm. um, at, at Yale as well, do you find that these kinds of programs help with stress in the everyday workplace as well? Oh, absolutely. In fact, the beauty of something like what Jim is talking about, there are plenty of quick and easy stress management techniques, and that's kind of how I know Jim is, is through his business and, and purchasing some of the tools that he sells. Um, and then bringing them to the, the frontline caregiver, and that's really the challenge, and that's what we've discovered. We have to bring quick and easy techniques for stress management, relaxation, of self-care techniques, and mindfulness is right at the heart of that. Yeah, because I would imagine that, you know, being a caregiver, whether you're a spouse or a family member of a patient with cancer, or you're a nurse on the floor mm -hmm. who gets very close to a patient or a physician, that, that there is that emotional stress associated with that. And you have to, as they say on the airlines, put your, your own oxygen mask on first before you help others. Right. That's exactly right. And then there's compassion fatigue, and there's the possibility of long-term burnout and secondary trauma. So, uh, you know, all these techniques can really help uh, help focus a person on the here and now yeah. and what they can control. So so that primes us very nicely. Uh, Jim, talk a little bit more about these quick and easy techniques uh, with mindfulness and, and other things that we can start using today um, in dealing with stress. Okay, good question. Um, when I teach people about 
what to do to lower stress. Mindfulness is one of the techniques that I teach. I tell people, you know, especially somebody dealing with a cancer diagnosis, first consult your doctor and then choose from any one of the things that I that, that are popular for managing stress. And one thing would be exercise, a great way to manage stress. And for a certain kind of person, it's the only way to manage stress. Like I've, I've met a lot of people that that's their number one way to manage stress. But meditation is another great way to manage stress. Um, somebody who's sedentary is going to really, that might be the thing for them. But somebody who's kind of in between, yoga would be a great way to manage stress. Um, we talked about meditation. There's cognitive restructuring, which is um, changing the way you think during a stressful situation. It's a beautiful way to manage stress. It's it's the work of Albert Ellis and Aaron Beck, the cognitive the guys who, who kind of created cognitive therapy. So that's another way to manage stress. Social support absolutely key aspect, especially for cancer patients, as a way to manage stress. And um, there are more. Um, some of the easiest, I would say the easiest thing to do, if we're talking about quick and easy, would be just a couple of deep breaths. That can, what we're really teaching people is how to self-regulate their nervous system. And, you know, 25 years ago, Western scientists would have told you you can't self-regulate your nervous system. That's why it's called the autonomic nervous system. But now we know you can. And simple techniques like what I'm talking about are ones that can help you learn how to do that. So I guess some people might be thinking about this going, I, I've never meditated I don't know how to meditate. It seems kind of out there. How, how, do, you, how do you teach that? Well, uh, mindfulness meditation is really easy. You can just sit in a corner and listen to whatever it is that's coming into your senses. Um, there, John Kabat-Zinn, who's an expert on mindfulness, wrote a book called Coming Back to Your Senses. And, and what that implies is that when we're being mindless, and I want to talk more about that, um, we're not in our senses. We're in our thinking mind. We're lost. We're gone. We're not here in the room. And we, we'll talk more about that later. But um, when you're just like right now, I'm thinking about how the chair feels on my body, how my clothes feel on my body, um, how this room looks right now. And, and when you come back into your senses, then you're being in the moment. And there's lots of benefits from being in the moment that we'll talk more about. Okay. So, so, but how do you think all of this plays in, in terms of, you know, when, when, when Jim was talking about social support, can you tell us a little bit more about the social support that the wellness uh, series provides? I mean, is that, is that something that is there or do people go to support groups or how does that work? Well, sure. I think support groups are are of great benefit, and but um, certainly, and again, I'm also not um, an expert in cancer treatment, but but I know involving the family is is very key. And in fact, they have a uh, patient and family resource center mm -hmm. at Smilo, mm -hmm. and that's kind of geared towards having a, a separate place that patients and family members can go. Very quiet, very serene. There's there are computers there if you want to look up. Um, information on the internet, and there's uh, relaxation tapes and a uh, lending library of books, and so it's it's a re it's a resource center, and so I think that's the kind of thing we want to give those folks in the, in the person's circle of loved ones lots of resources so that they can learn about it, um, and hopefully what we'll teach through this seminar is is not to get too far you know in a, in in the future, not to yeah. project all your fears. Uh, down the road, but to but to stay in the present and and the family 
uh, and patient resource center is one way to do that, you know, very concretely. Yeah. And I think a lot of patients might really kind of get the whole concrete, I can read a book. Mm-hmm. I can go on the internet. I can talk to my family. I can go to a support group. I can do things that can keep me in the here and now. But, but getting back to you, Jim, I think there may be people who, th- when they listen to you talk about getting back to your senses and understanding how paying attention to how the chair feels and how your clothes feel. I mean, that that seems kind of out there for some people. Tell us more about how that works, how people can use these techniques to really get kind of calm their stress, Uh, because that's really what you're talking about, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny to hear you talk about it because I I forget because I've been, you know, it sounds a little airy-fairy right now. And I hope I can bring this ship into the dock because it really, the way I try to teach it is anything but airy-fairy. So so let's get it so that people can understand it. And I think the easiest way, and I actually say, you know, when you say, well, I ask people, what do you think of when you think of the term mindfulness? And usually people say, well, being in the now or being in the present moment. But then I sort of ask myself, well, most people must say, well, what the heck does that do for me? You know, and why would that be important for me? And what about thinking about the future? Don't you need to do that? I mean, being in the present moment could actually be detrimental if you were that way all the time. So so what I'd like to do is uh, maybe when we come back from the break is talk about this concept of mindlessness, which I think everybody's going to understand uh, easily. So I'd love to do that. So we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. And when we come back, what I hope to do is not only talk about mindlessness, but more about how we can actually get maybe a little tutorial on mindfulness and how we can use it in our everyday lives, whether we're just under stress uh, from life or whether we're in fact a cancer patient. Smoking can be a very strong habit that involves the potent drug nicotine, and there are many obstacles to face when quitting smoking. But smoking cessation is a very important lifestyle change, especially for patients undergoing cancer treatment. Quitting smoking has been shown to positively impact response to treatments and to decrease the likelihood that patients will develop second malignancies. Smoking cessation programs are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as the Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. The smoking cessation service at Smilo operates on the principles of the U.S. Public Health Service Clinical Practice Guidelines. All treatment components are evidence-based, and therefore all patients are treated with FDA-approved first-line medications and smoking cessation counseling. This has been a Medical Minute, brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guests, James Porter and Bud Wazell. We're talking about relieving stress during a cancer diagnosis, and right before the break... Uh, Jim Porter was talking to us about all of the techniques that can be used to relieve stress, one of which was mindfulness. And I I kind of pushed you a little bit into a corner um, because for a lot of us, the whole concept seems a little bit, as you put it, airy-fairy. Feel what the chair is like and what your clothes are like. And for some of us who aren't, aren't in mindfulness, we don't quite get it. So you said that the contrast was really to mindlessness. So tell us more about what that is. Okay, you're up in your bedroom. 
you realize you need something from the kitchen. You come down to the kitchen, and by the time you get to the kitchen, you have no idea what you came down for. And you actually have to go back upstairs to figure it out. You're driving across town. You get to wherever you're going. You have no idea how you got there. It's, it's amazing. You go to the mall. You, uh, you go shopping. You park your car. You go shopping. You have no idea where you parked your car. We're doing things mindlessly all the time. And think about this, this little simple example. We put on our seatbelt after we start to drive. That moment where you're thinking more about putting on the seatbelt than driving, what happens if a little child walks across the street? You know, there's big benefits to mindfulness if you want to look at it from just paying attention to what you're doing while you're doing it. But there's stress management benefits as well. And my favorite example of this is when you're in the shower. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I've been in the shower 5, 10, 15 minutes, and I, at the end, I have no idea whether I shampooed my hair or not. So where's my mind going during that time? Well, it could be on the dentist appointment I have next week. It could be on the argument I had with my spouse last week. And what, what's happening is when you're being mindless, you're suffering. You're thinking about things that are causing you pain. But when you're being mindful and staying in the moment, and the shower is a great place to be in the moment because it's the spa in a box and everybody has one in their house. And yet we take that time and, and we're thinking about things that cause us to feel bad. So mindfulness represents liberation from thinking about the future where a lot of our anxiety comes from and thinking about the past where much of our anger comes from. Mm -hmm. So there's real benefit and a stress management benefit from being mindful and thinking about the shower while you're in the shower, thinking about driving while you're driving, thinking about um, doing the dishes while you're doing the dishes instead of, you know, the bills you have to pay or the things that make you upset. Do you see? Do you understand now? Yeah. Does it sound a little less airy-fairy now? Yeah. No, totally. I, I totally get it. And I love the concept of, of, you know, not being in the past where your anger comes from and not being in the future where your anxiety comes from. Because I think that for many cancer patients, um, in part, that's very true. Um, they think about the past and what did I do to deserve this diagnosis and why, why did I get this? Um, and then they're worried about, oh, my gosh, do I need chemo now? And what if this spreads? And what if I get a recurrence? So, so I get that. Um, but for many cancer patients, I mean, being in the moment, they may tell you, just to push back on, on behalf of all of the patients who may be listening, um, they may say, but every day I'm living with a cancer diagnosis. And so even when I'm in the, di in the moment... I'm still in a moment where I am a cancer patient. How do you take that and turn it into something that is, as you called it, liberating? That's a really good question and, and, and a, kind of a hard question to answer. But let me just start by saying there's a couple of other pieces to the mindfulness puzzle that I think would help. And one is just practicing gratefulness, just being grateful for what you do have. You know, you're, you're a cancer patient, but you also, you're alive, you're breathing, you're, um, uh, you know, John Kabat-Zinn says there's more right with you than what's wrong with you, you know, if, if you're still breathing. And so, you know, just focusing on the breath. And, you know, people always say, let it go, let it go. Well, how do you let it go? Well, being in the moment, thinking about how you're feeling right now, usually is a good um, place to be, not always, but, but usually. And, and I think more often than not, where you are right now can be 
can be a kind of a tonic. But when it's not, um, there's practicing gratefulness. And there's another aspect to mindfulness that we should talk more about, and that's self-compassion. So tell me more about self-compassion. Well, there's a book by Kristen Neff, Dr. Kristen Neff. At the, she's from the University of Texas, and it's the title of it is Self-Compassion. And, and the whole thing comes from a mindfulness background. And, and self-compassion is really part of mindfulness. And it's, it's just being, it's kind of based on a concept called ahimsa, which is nonviolence. And n- nonviolence is not only to other people, but it's to yourself. We in the West here are just, we beat ourselves up all the time. And we beat ourselves up because we don't have as good a car as the next door neighbor. Or we beat ourselves up because we couldn't get to the school play because we had to go to work where our children is the star, you know. And and we beat ourselves up for reasons that we really shouldn't. And so self-compassion really teaches us how to not do that. Yeah, I think that is so critical. And Bud, you, you mentioned in the earlier segment about uh, caregivers uh, suffering from compassion fatigue. And I think that that might be something that they could really benefit from um, is self-compassion and understanding that they too uh, matter and they too need to take care of themselves and they too do incredible, incredible work. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a big part of it. And that's um, I'm familiar with some of that work as well that Jim is talking about. And, and if you want to put it in a nutshell is how would you treat your best friend? What would you say to your best friend about that incident that just occurred? And unfortunately, what most of us do is we don't treat ourselves that well. So um, part of what we do, we actually do some mini workshops, and one of them is on gratitude uh, and want it to try to help people kind of get their gratitude quotient up a little bit and yeah. start focusing on that a little bit more. Yeah, I think that is so critical to have an attitude yeah. of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, I, I have patients who who come in and they say, and I say, how old are you? And they say, well, you know, I've got these aches and pains and I'm, I'm getting older. And I say, yes, but isn't that great? It's so much better than the alternative. Um, so I, I do think that turning things around and really looking at the positive um, and being grateful for everything that you have, and, and there is so men- so much that we have and so many blessings uh, that we need to be grateful for, that sometimes just that and being aware of that and being uh, mindful of that is really important. I agree. Um, so tell us more about other means uh, in which we can practice mindfulness. I mean, aside from kind of trying to be present and not focus on the past or or the future and and being grateful and practicing self-compassion, are there other tips and tricks um, that we can use uh, to reduce our stress? Uh, Lots of tricks for reducing stress. If we're going to uh, stick to the topic of mindfulness, which is what I'm going to be presenting about um, uh, at the wellness seminar, um, from from the tradition of mindfulness, well, there's lots of different ways to meditate. I mean, meditation is kind of the fundamental basis point for for practicing what's called formal mindfulness practice. There's formal mindfulness practice and everyday mindfulness practice. So just thinking about what you're eating while you're eating it is, is a wonderful uh, mindfulness thing. There's a mindfulness walking. But getting back to the eating, there's an exercise where you take five minutes just to eat one raisin. You hold it in oh your hand. Gosh. And then you hold it up to your ear and you listen to it. And then you smell it. And then you put it on your tongue and you roll it around the roof of your mouth. 
and then you put it between your teeth, and then you hold it there for a couple of seconds, and then you bite down on it, and it just the juice squishes out, and it's absolutely glorious. Now imagine if we were to eat our whole meal that way. That would take a very long time. <laughs> it would, but I, I think there wouldn't be uh, so many problems with emotional eating, for example. True enough. If we really thought about what we were eating while we're eating it. And that's my definition of mindfulness. Think about what you're doing while you're doing it. It's, it's, it's surprisingly rare that we do that, especially with the kind of everyday activities we can do without thinking about them. So tell us more about this formal mindfulness. I mean, is that something that, that you advocate? Is that something that we should be doing? And if so, how do we do it? Uh, Another good question. So formal mindfulness practice is what in the meditative world they call sitting. In other words, you're sitting to do a meditation practice. Now, there's three ones that I teach uh, to people. One is just um, watching your breath, watching every and – and this is a meditation. Anybody could take this, listen to this right now and go to a corner where it's quiet and, and, and just meditate. So you would notice your in-breath. Notice your out-breath, and then notice the gap between the out-breath and the next in-breath. And that's all there is to breath awareness, which is the number one way to teach formal mindfulness practice. Now, some people count their breaths. One, two might be in and out, and then go one, two, one, two, or count up to 10. You really can do anything that sort of helps you to focus your attention, keeps you in the present moment. Okay, so what you're doing is you're training your brain. And there's lots of research from the University of Wisconsin at Madison where Richard Davidson uh, works. And he's put a lot of meditators into, um, into an MRI machine. And what we know from, from this, and he's put Tibetan monks into MRI machines. And, you know, when they meditate, 90 seconds on, the whole image changes, and then they do 90 seconds off. And he says, D Davidson said, it's like the, the picture's like the difference between night and day when they're meditating and when they're not. Um, but here again, it's the eight weeks of mindfulness meditation increases the gray matter in the left side of the prefrontal cortex um, such that, you know, and that's the center for happiness and contentment. So eight weeks of mindfulness meditation actually changes the structure of the brain. And that's why we're teaching people formal mindfulness practice. Hmm. Interesting. Could I add on to that? Because sure. there's a piece that you touched on, and I kind of wanted to just bring that out. And, and I think that has to do with somebody dealing with cancer and that, the whole feeling of why is this happening to me, the very negative part of that. Yeah. Well, informal med meditation and mindfulness is not going to get to that, but if you do it formally week after week and you really train as Jim says, that part of the brain. What you then begin to learn is that you, you take the world in non-judgmentally. Hmm. So that means the ability to be able to sit with negative things in the present moment. And when you can do that, you realize that all kinds of negativity, all kinds of things that come to us are tolerable. In some way, you can get through that. But it does take a little while. It does take, I think, some of the formal mindfulness meditation as well. Wow. Yeah, because I, I do think that that's incredible when you can actually say, yes, I have a cancer diagnosis, and that's okay. And yes, I may need treatment, and that's okay, because I'm here now. 
and, and and move on with that. So you said that there were three different types of, of formal mindfulness, and that was one of them. Tell me about the other two. Just listening to the sounds in the room is the second one. Just, you know, I remember the day that I went on a six-day retreat with John Kabat-Zinn, and uh, we came in one day, and he was opening up all the windows. It was in a retreat area in the woods in the upper Catskills. And uh, I was thinking, man, it's cold. It was November. Why are you opening up all the windows? Well, it was so we could hear the sounds coming in from the outside, and we just sat there for half an hour, and it was absolutely mesmerizing just to listen to the crickets and the water in the stream. And, and time just, you get a different concept of time when you do that. And I know this must sound airy-fairy, but just, you know, I did this. At, uh, here's the, here, bring it back down to earth. I About two weeks later after I did that, I went to Motor Vehicles in Norwalk. And, you know, it was like one of those two-hour lines. And I just closed my eyes and I started listening to the sounds in the room. The time went by like that. James Porter is an author and founder of StressShop.com. And Bud Wassell is coordinator for the Employee and Family Resources Program at Yale New Haven Health System. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program. And we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.